Good morning, and welcome to Simply Space. It's Tuesday, February 20th. On today's show, former Disney Channel star Bridget Mendler becomes a space startup CEO. Adras J. Mission takes steps towards commercial space debris removal. Plus, a Japanese satellite made out of timber is set to launch this summer. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Space. We start off with a surprising career shift in the realm of space technology. Former Disney Channel star Bridget Mendler, known for her role in Good Luck Charlie, has announced that she will serve as the CEO of Northwood Space, a startup aiming to create a data highway between Earth and space. Here to discuss this is our correspondent, James. Can you tell us more about Mendler's new venture? Certainly, David. Northwood Space is designing shared ground infrastructure to expand access to space. It's a significant undertaking, but as Mendler stated in her announcement, that's the fun part. The company has already secured $6.3 million in funding. That's quite a leap from acting to space technology. What led Mendler to this field? Mendler's interest in space was sparked while working at the Federal Communications Commission's Space Bureau. She fell in love with space law and recognized the challenges in sending data to and from space. She has also studied at prestigious institutions like the University of Southern California, MIT, and Harvard. And how did the idea for Northwood Space come about? The idea for the company was developed during the COVID-19 pandemic. While spending time with her family in New Hampshire, Mendler and her family started building antennas and receiving data from NOAA satellites. Her husband, Griffin Cleverly, will serve as the startup's chief technology officer. It's quite a departure from her acting and music career. How has Mendler's fan base reacted to this news? The news has certainly been a surprise for many. In addition to announcing her new role as CEO, Mendler also revealed that she is a mother to a four-year-old boy, news that she had not previously shared publicly. It's clear that Mendler is embracing a new chapter in her life, both professionally and personally. As we ponder on how a former Disney star might navigate the world of space technology, let's turn our attention to another pressing issue in the cosmos. The increasing number of launches to meet the growing demand for communication and observation satellites is adding more spacecraft to orbit each year, particularly in the congested low Earth orbit. Organizations like Astroscale are responding to this emerging market by providing commercial on-orbit services for active and defunct satellites. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent from Simply Space. Can you tell us more about Astroscale and its mission? Certainly, David. Astroscale, a private company based in Japan, is one of several innovators in this field. They recently launched their active debris removal by Astroscale Japan, or ADRAS-J mission. This mission aims to demonstrate the operations and technology needed to deliver new on-orbit services. The focus is on space debris, which can range from satellites that have reached the end of their operational life to discarded rocket stages. What are some of the factors that contribute to orbital decay? And how does this impact the lifespan of satellites? Orbital decay is influenced by several factors, including orbital altitude, atmospheric drag, the ballistic coefficient of the object, and even space weather. To counteract this, spacecraft maintain a supply of propellant for periodic station keeping. 
Satellites in low Earth orbit typically have a five-year lifespan, while those in geostationary orbit can operate for up to 15 years. However, the Federal Communications Commission has recently taken steps to mitigate growing debris by reducing the time frame in which operators should deorbit their satellites after mission completion from 25 to 5 years. What measures are modern launch vehicle operators taking to mitigate debris? Modern launch vehicle operators are very aware of the importance of debris mitigation. For instance, Falcon 9 second stages perform retrograde burns on many of its missions to safely deorbit after payload deployment. Similarly, Rocket Lab's Electron Kickstage sometimes fires its Curie engine one final time to deorbit itself. Starlink satellites will use their ion-powered thrusters to lower their orbit at the end of their useful life, ensuring no persistent debris is left behind. Despite these mitigation steps, low Earth orbit remains populated with hundreds of thousands of pieces of debris. How is Astroscale addressing this issue? Astroscale's Adras J mission is focusing on these end-of-life spacecraft, which have run out of power and can no longer communicate or reorient themselves. The mission involves safely approaching, characterizing, and flying an observational orbit path around a large uncommunicative piece of space debris in low Earth orbit. The target is the upper stage of a discarded Japanese H-2A rocket. The mission will demonstrate the technology needed for a precise rendezvous with a large target object. What are the potential risks of increasing space debris and what is being done to mitigate these risks? The primary concern is the potential for a domino effect of collisions in congested space, known as Kessler syndrome. This could result in low Earth orbit becoming an untraversable debris field for many years. To mitigate this risk, the United States military conducts daily screenings of all active satellites in orbit to anticipate and react to the risk of colliding objects. Additionally, companies like Astroscale are working on missions to actively remove space debris. What does the future hold for debris management in space? The future of debris management in space looks promising, with companies like Astroscale leading the way. Astroscale's Adras-J mission is just the beginning. The company is already working on other programs, focusing on orbital debris clearance and maintenance. The Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency has selected this mission as the initial phase of their commercial removal of debris demonstration project. The second phase will progress onto the actual capture and removal of a debris object. Thanks to Abby for her insights on the growing issue of space debris and the innovative solutions being developed to tackle it. Speaking of innovative solutions, Japanese scientists are preparing to launch the world's first wooden satellite, named Lignosat, in an attempt to combat space pollution. This could be a game-changer for the space industry, potentially reducing harmful pollution. Here to discuss this further is Michael, a correspondent for Simply Space. Can you tell us more about this wooden satellite, Michael? Certainly, David. Lignosat is essentially a small wooden box with solar panels on the outside and electronic equipment on the inside. It's set to launch this summer, either on an Orbital Sciences Cygnus supply ship to the ISS or a similar mission aboard a SpaceX Dragon. Once in orbit, Lignosat will operate for about six months before being allowed to burn up in the atmosphere. The researchers plan to include a number of experiments on board designed to see how well wood holds up to the harsh conditions of space. That's fascinating. But how does wood fare in space? 
Aren't there concerns about the wooden panels warping or cracking due to temperature shifts? That's a valid concern, David. In low Earth orbit, satellites experience temperatures ranging from minus 85 degrees to plus 257 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on their altitude and exposure to the sun. However, early research showed that wood kept in space-like conditions in the lab showed no measurable mass loss, signs of decay, or damage. Further tests on the International Space Station also showed very little sign of decay, even after being exposed to extreme temperatures for twice the intended operating period of the satellite. That's impressive. What makes Magnolia Wood the ideal choice for this satellite? After reviewing the results of the ISS tests, the scientists decided to make the final satellite from Magnolia Wood. Compared to other woods tested, Magnolia showed high workability, dimensional stability, and overall strength. Moreover, wood does not block electromagnetic radiation, including the radio waves that are used to communicate with satellites in orbit. This means that wooden satellites can keep all their antenna and radio equipment on the inside, simplifying their design and making them more robust. And what about the environmental impact of wooden satellites? That's one of the key advantages of wooden satellites. As of September last year, there were around 10,590 satellites in orbit, with about 8,800 still functioning. When these satellites leave orbit and burn up, they create tiny alumina particles that float in the upper atmosphere for many years, potentially damaging the ozone layer. Wooden satellites like Lignosat, on the other hand, would simply burn up and leave behind nothing more than biodegradable ash, making them a more eco-friendly option. Thanks for the insights, Michael. Speaking of promising developments in space exploration, NASA's OSIRIS-REx spacecraft has delivered a pleasant surprise. The first asteroid samples acquired by NASA from deep space contained double the amount of material scientists were expecting to get. Here to delve into this exciting development is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Space. Bella, can you tell us more about this mission and its unexpected bounty? Absolutely, David. The OSIRIS-REx mission was tasked with collecting samples from the asteroid Bennu. The spacecraft successfully delivered these samples last fall, but it took longer than expected to retrieve all of them due to two stuck fasteners on the touch-and-go sample acquisition mechanism, or TAGSAM, which was used to collect the samples. After developing new tools, scientists were able to open the capsule and collect the rest of the sample. So how much material did NASA end up with? NASA ended up with a total of 4.29 ounces of material from the asteroid. This is double the amount they needed to consider the mission a success. The sample is the biggest carbon-rich asteroid sample ever delivered to Earth and will help scientists investigate the origins of life on our planet for generations to come. That's fascinating. And what will happen to these samples now? NASA plans to store 70% of the sample at Houston's Johnson Space Center for further research by scientists from around the world. Later this spring, a catalog of the OSIRIS-REx samples will be released, making the asteroid sample available for request by the global scientific community. Can you tell us more about the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft and its mission? The OSIRIS-REx, which stands for Origins, Spectral Interpretation, Resource Identification, Security Regolith Explorer, is a van-sized craft with solar panels that power it. On its visit to Bennu, it collected samples of the asteroid's surface and sealed it into a three-foot-wide container called the Sample Return Capsule. 
The capsule was equipped with a heat shield to protect it when it delivered its sample to Earth. The mission, excluding launch, cost $800 million. That's quite an investment. What's the significance of this mission for NASA and for our understanding of the universe? NASA Administrator Bill Nelson said that missions like OSIRIS-REx will improve our understanding of asteroids that could threaten Earth while giving us a glimpse into what lies beyond. The sample has made it back to Earth, but there is still so much science to come. Science like we've never seen before. Thanks for the insights, Bella. It's certainly something to look forward to. And on that note, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Space. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>